So today we're going to continue in James chapter one. Um, this is going to be part one of a two-parter. Uh, the next time I preach, we will uh, do the second of two. But we, before we begin um, this morning, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for, Lord, our, our family here. Lord, those those saved brothers and sisters, Father, that this body is made up of, and we thank you for our fellowship. Father, I pray that you would be with us as we both listen and speak today. Father, I pray that you would help your word to be illuminated. Uh, Lord, regardless of, of the vessel that it's delivered by, Father, your word is true and your word uh, is sharper than any two-edged sword. Father, I pray that you would help me as I bring the message that you have given to me to the congregation today. We pray all of these things in the name of Christ. So if you will recall our sermons about James, uh, we've been in chapter one for quite some time. When I preach once a month, it, we will uh, probably get through James when Michaela is a college graduate, but that's okay. Um, and today's sermon is really getting to the point in James where he talks about us being not only hearers, but also doers of God's word and his commandments. So contextually, just some reminders about James and what this book is comprised of and what it points towards. The book of James is a letter to all those scattered abroad. So the primary, the primary audience of James are those Jewish believers that are scattered abroad. But of course, the Lord is the best uh, user of his word, and we get to be the secondary audience, a secondary audience that is here two millennia later, still understanding from James his depth of wisdom and his knowledge of the word. Frequently, James is a user of wisdom of the Bible. Um, he was deeply embedded in Jewish tradition of utilizing Proverbs, Psalms, um, all of those parts of the Bible that lead to what we constitute as the wisdom uh, of the Bible. This was a quote from R.C. Sproul and specifically talking about Proverbs and wisdom of the Bible. He said, for Jews, wisdom meant a practical understanding of how to live a life that is pleasing to God. The pursuit of godliness was a central concern of the writers of wisdom literature. They affirmed that the necessary condition for anyone to have true wisdom is a fear of the Lord. If you recall scripture the fear of the Lord, the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. And really, this underscores the whole purpose of James, to live a godly, practical life. One reason that I would start with James, frankly, is that James lays my sermons out for me. Okay. God, do you think that God calls the equipped or he equips the called? The Lord is equipping the called. Okay, so bear with me as I go through this season of being <laughs> more equipped um, to to preach. This is something that is new for me. Um, although I'm used to speaking, I'm still would definitely count myself as a novice in preaching. So please have mercy in your hearing and uh, I appreciate it. 
but this is really the setup of James. Okay. So he is, he is someone who is, has a pastor's heart. He wants his congregation and those that would read um, these words to grow in Christ, to observe what he has and to be converted as he was. James was not, was not converted during his brother's time on earth. James rejected his own brother, Christ, and later came to a saving knowledge after the resurrection. So James has a very unique perspective of having this half-brother um, who was also the Savior. Um, so let's read. I'm going to read the bigger context, and then we're going to dig into the verses. James 1, 19 through 21. You know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Now everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For a man's anger does not bring about the righteousness of God. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not just hearers who deceive themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror. And for once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who has looked intently at the perfect law, the law of freedom, and has continued in it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an active doer, this person will be blessed in what he does. So that's the bigger passage and bigger context, 19 through 25. And today we're going to focus on 19 through 21. As um, going through prep, it became very apparent to me that these, <laughs> it was very difficult with all of this packing in of rich, wisdom and practical advice from James that that's what it would take. So let's dig into this. What does it mean to be quick to hear? This verse immediately follows verse 18 that said in the exercise of his will, he gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. So if we kind of put these things together, verse 19 is a response to verse 18. Everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak and slow to anger because of the new nature that you have received. Because you have received the word of truth. These are the natural fruits, the natural outpouring of what you've gotten in verse 18. And in the Greek here, verse 18 would actually start out with a but or a however um, or a so. Okay, so it would might be a little bit clearer if we if we were all spoke Greek. Um, because it would say verse 18, you've received this new nature, paraphrase, and verse 19, so do these things. So why must we be quick to hear and what should we be listening to? Listening kind of in quotation marks. What should we be listening to and why is it important to be quick to hear? We must be quick to hear because how are we going to know who God is if we don't hear his word? If we've been saved by his grace, if this word has been implanted, now we quickly need to hunger for that word. The immediate response to salvation is, I've got I've to eat this up, right? 
I've got to learn this. I've got to spend time here. I've got to get to know what the Lord is saying to me. And we have such, such a wonderful uh, time um, for us to be living. You think about the time of James. He was preaching out of Old Testament literature, right? We didn't have this nice codified Bible that he was preaching out of with 66 books and a canon. Um, now we do. All of us saints that have come 2,000 years later have at least a dozen formats in which we could read to, listen to, watch, whatever you want to do in whatever format. We can look at the Bible and we can listen to it and we can hear God's words. We must be quick to hear the word of truth that he gave to us. And this is more than a, I think about my first grade teacher. This is more than something that comes in this ear and goes out this one. Right. When we truly hear the word of God, what are we doing? We're we're absorbing. There's this implantation of a seed of wisdom that he has given to us. Um, one that results in a changed mind, a changed heart and a changed character that then yield different actions, right? So these changes, just like, just like we talked about where sin comes from, out, out from us, right? Out from our heart, the sin comes out. Now, this changed mind, changed heart, and changed character are where those godly things, those godly fruits, those godly actions are coming from um so there's much more to this than just kind of having this on in the background of our life right sometimes when i'm studying uh there's this white noise podcast it's really useful to you if you need some time to study i have these awesome headphones that i was given by some uh, by uh, my employer as a gift that are noise canceling. So I listen to that white noise podcast. Typically it's like a fan running or a, a waterfall. It's like eight hours of that, just that noise. And I zone out and I try to concentrate on things like this. Um, so this is not a casual listen, in other words. This is an active absorption of the vitamins for your soul, <laughs> right? Uh, how, how we are able to live in Christ is by hearing and absorbing his words. Just a practical thing for everyone. Um, I know that a lot of us are note takers. Um, I really feel like that's a great way to actively listen to a sermon a class, if, even if you're sitting watching YouTube and you're sitting watching a, a sermon or listening to a lesson, taking notes is, is a great way, by whatever means you want to, okay? But taking notes is a great practical way to actively listen. If you notice, I do take notes because my, my Gen X self has to have something in his hand writing. That's how my brain is, <laughs> is taught to learn. That's how I went through my entire college experience was doing that. So anyway, just a practical application here. So next we have slow to speak. Slow to speak. Now, my mama said God gave us two ears and one mouth, right? Have any of you ever heard that? Two ears and one mouth. So what does that say to us? We should be twice as eager to listen as we are to talk. I don't have to tell a person in this room who has known me for any amount of time that this particular verse is challenging for me and my family. The Taylors are a big, loud, talkative family. Um, and sometimes 
if you have a dinner with us, a lunch with us, or spend some time with us, you will see that there's a great competition for who can get the words in. Okay. So this particularly is for, for talkers like me, being slow to speak should be something that I need to hear out of these verses, right? And others have said, whoever learned something while they were talking, right? So it, it almost seems like when something's coming out of here, these things close up. So being slow to speak is a natural following of being quick to hear, right? Quick to hear. Notice it says quick on hearing, but then the other two are slowed down, right? Slow to speak. Notice that James doesn't say don't ever speak, right? But speak under consideration. Speak under hearing. Speak under preparation of what you're going to say. One of the things that I love about one of my brothers in Christ sitting over here is sometimes he is quietly listening and adding ammunition to his gun for when he finally does fire it. Right. Uh, I really admire that. Um, there are things that need to be said. And there are other commands that we have to speak. As an example, one of many, Ephesians 4.15 says that we're to speak the truth in love. We're to speak the truth in love. So don't get the impression that this says never say anything. That might be easy for some, but hard for others. But instead, slow yourself down. Listen more. Talk less. We're to speak after this careful hearing and consideration. Um, and both of these concepts of being quick to hear and slow to speak follow into our next one that we're going to delve into and camp out on a little while. Um, because if you think about it real quickly before we delve into the whole anger situation. Are we good listeners when we're mad? <laughs> let me get, let me get real mad, real good and mad. And, and then I'm going to listen to what you have to say. No. Um, also from a speaking point of view, when we're mad, we tend to say things that we wouldn't have said previously. Um, we all know how that is. All right. So in verse 19, you know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Now everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For a man's anger does not bring about the righteousness of God. Slow to anger. Where would James come up with a phrase like slow to anger? What's he repeating? God's characteristic, exactly, and that's where we're going. So if you want to follow along with me, I encourage you to do so. If you want to do the Bible drill of looking up each of these references, please do. Um, I think that that's valuable to you. But if not, we do have, I do have them on the screen here. So the first reference to slow to anger comes contextually in Exodus. If you remember the terrible, terrible uh, thing that Israel did is while Moses is up receiving the commandments of God, Israel is taking jewelry and melting it down and making themselves an idol. It's almost like your mom's cooking dinner and you run into the kitchen and grab a candy bar. That's that's basically uh, from a, a real world example what this is kind of like, but much more high of an impact spiritually to Israel. They're making an idol when Moses is after the real thing. He's having a 
direct conference with God that he's coming to bring a word back to Israel from. And yet they do this. So afterwards, Exodus 34, 5 through 7. Um, and the Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. The Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in faithfulness and truth, who keeps faithfulness for thousands, who forgives wrongdoing, violation of his law and sin. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, inflicting the punishment of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. So the first time that we see this phrase, God says this about himself. He calls himself slow to anger. You think about God and his mercy towards Israel and his mercy towards his people. We deserve being taken out by a lightning bolt after we leave church today, right? Uh, if, if for no other reason than our thoughts and intentions um, that, that aren't of him. But he's slow to anger. He is compassionate and merciful. And this is something we see even in our morning Bible study. We saw it today, right? That the Lord was merciful towards David, even though he faced consequences ongoing with his sin and his family. The Lord is merciful to David. He lets him still be a king. He delivers him from enemies. He delivers him from Saul. He saves him. Then... After this first Exodus point, now we go to Numbers, and now we're um, still in the wilderness during the Exodus, during the life of Moses. And now this is Moses coming to the Lord on the behalf of the people of Israel that have been such bad complainers. Wow. If you were Moses, you know, you would just want to pull a Nehemiah and go to pulling hair and, you know, <laughs> and punishing them because they were so annoyingly uh, corrupt and uh, complainers. Um, but Moses going to God in, in prayer and imploring God on Israel's behalf says, so now, please let the power of the Lord be great, just as you have declared, saying the Lord is slow to anger and abundant in mercy, forgiving wrongdoing and violation of his law. But he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, inflicting the punishment of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generations. Please forgive the guilt of this people in accordance with the greatness of your mercy, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. So what Moses does is what we do, right? When we praise the Lord, when we a lot of times in our worship songs, we talk about his attributes or who he is or who Jesus is or uh, we pick something about the Lord's mercy and goodness um, to sing about. And we learn that from the word. Moses is doing the same thing when he's imploring to God. He's saying, hey, I've, I know your word. I've received the conversation from you, God. And you said, you said that you're slow to anger. So now I ask you to be slow to be angry with this people. So Moses and James are teaching us that what God has said about himself and his word, we now put into practice and even so much as to repeat it back to God uh, that we know those things about him. 
Um, later on in this talk, there's a bit about the Lord's Prayer. How does the Lord start his prayer? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. First sentence, right? God, here's who you are. You're our Father. God, um, hallowed be your name. Holy be your name. We've learned out of scripture. He's holy. So just in a very real example to us, this is something that we habitually do, right? We repeat what the Lord has said about himself to him. In the life of David, slow to anger is also used in several of his Psalms. These three I pulled out, um, 86, 103, and 145. Look at how David sings to the Lord. He says, but you, O Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abundant in mercy and truth. Psalm 103, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. Psalm 145, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and great in mercy. So two, um, two different patriarchs so far as I'm kind of walking through the Old Testament references here, kind of chronologically. See Moses and David repeating what God said about himself back to God and Solomon, who we read about this morning. It's I know that Danny has said it before, but it's so cool when the teachers and preachers are aligned on God's word, how God's word is so consistent. And uh, it seems like God almost plans our services for us, even though we don't coordinate some connection between Sunday school and service. It often happens. It happens because we're in God's word and it's consistent. Um, but here we studied about Solomon and now look at uh, what Solomon says. He again in four different Proverbs calls out this attribute of God um, and says that um, and now applies it to an actual way that we should be, okay? One who is slow to anger has great understanding, but one who is quick-tempered exalts foolishness. A hot-tempered person stirs up strife, but the slow to anger calms a dispute. One who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and one who rules his spirit than one who captures a city. A person's discretion makes him slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. So Proverbs, you know, are deeply embedded in James' brain as he writes uh, this epistle um, and as he writes the book of James. Um, these verses of wisdom particularly probably Proverbs are cycling in his brain. So we've come from God declaring this about himself, the patriarchs declaring it back to God. And now we come to Solomon. Here's how you're going to use this to be your character. You reflect who God is. And I could probably go on for several minutes here. Uh, Joel, Nehemiah, Nahum, all of them, all of these prophets um, are, they call upon what the Lord has said for himself in the judgment preceding what's probably a turning away of wrath of God to all these different situations. If you think about what happened in Joel, right? This is post-Babylon, post-exile. Um, Joel calls upon this phrase, slow to anger. Nehemiah, same, rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Um, and Ezra and Nehemiah have this sort of joint worship session that lasts for seven days. And in, in this big, long worship and praise section where they read 
the law. Can you imagine like setting aside an entire week just to worship God and do that together? That sounds like a pretty awesome thing, but it also sounds like a big commitment. They just for seven days read the law and praised God. Um, and in one of those periods of time in Nehemiah, this is before he gets mad and pulls everybody's hair out. Um, <laughs> he said that they should be slow to anger. Okay. Um, he does get a righteous rage at the end of his book, if you recall. Um, and But even he um, says that, you know, we, we should be slow to anger. So, Mark, why would you go over all these references and why would you walk us all the way through this? Well, I wanted you to see that progression, that an attribute that God declared of himself is in us a reflection of that attribute that's called upon by James for us to exhibit. Hey, be like God, right? Be be like God's character. Reflect who he is because he's your father now and be slow to anger. Um, we see all of these walk through the Old Testament and this phrase just continues throughout that history. We're called to extend mercy and patience to those around us. Do you have any challenging people in which it might be? Hard to be slow to anger about in your life? I think you probably do. Um, We've been shown patience and mercy from God. How many times have we failed him? How many times have we walked away from him and done things that he said not to do? And yet he's this merciful father who forgives us. When we repent and confess, um, he's faithful to, to do that. So we extend part of God's character and we are slow to anger because we see that as a characteristic of God. So is God ever angry? Let's kind of look at the opposite obverse side of the coin here. Is God ever actually angry? Do we have a right to be sometimes? So just following the slow to speak verse, right? Being slow to speak doesn't mean that we don't ever speak. Being slow to get angry doesn't mean that we we never get angry. Um, Or that we uh, we aren't righteously angry sometimes. There are several examples of God getting angry. So I'll share with you a few, Um, but we could we could be here um, for quite some time. If we look at every time that the Bible says that God was angry. But in one case, um, in Numbers 22, 21 through 22, if you recall Balaam and our study in Numbers um, in verse 22, of Numbers 22, it says, but God was angry. What was making God angry here? In Avery County words, he was taken up with the Moabites. He was associating with this tribe of people that God said, do not associate with, do not intermarry with, do not be with these people. That has a long history, right? Where where did Moab come from? The original Moab. What situation was that in? One of Lot's sons, right? So we had a long history with Moab. And they were worshiping other gods. And Balaam was basically a, a priest for hire, if you will. They tried to have a prophet for hire. Come say something against Israel. Since you're God's man, come and say something against Israel so that it will happen to them. You know, it's kind of that Facebook commercial. Uh, It doesn't work like that, right? (laughs) It doesn't work this way. 
But God was angry because essentially his association with people that were against God. Um, and God placed an angel in the way of Balaam and his donkey. He even got angry at the poor donkey because it sat down on him and wouldn't go anywhere. But um, God was gracious with that donkey because he opened his mouth and made the donkey speak um, and opened Balaam's eyes. And he saw the angel standing there that could have easily taken him out. Um, so God was angry because Balaam was associating with those that were against God. Similarly, if we continue in Numbers 25, um, this is another time in which Israel was associating with idolatry. They were practicing worship of the Baals. They got embedded um, inside of this um, with the daughters of Moab. Here we go again. Um, and it says in verse three of Numbers 25 that the Lord was angry with Israel. And then the Lord said to Moses, take all the leaders of the people and execute them in broad daylight before the Lord so that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. So Moses said to the judges of Israel, each of you kill his men who have become followers of Baal of Peor. Do you see a pattern of the Lord's anger? First Kings 11, nine through 10, where we're going in just a few weeks. Now the Lord was angry with Solomon because why? His heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him regarding this thing, that he was not to follow other gods, but he did not comply with what the Lord had commanded. Another instance, Second Chronicles 28, 8 through 9. Uh, the sons of Israel, if you remember this, what's happening here contextually, this is the divided kingdom. Northern Israel, southern Judah in Second Chronicles. And here Judah displeases the Lord and he gives Judah um, to be captive, uh, some men of Judah to be captive to Israel because um, the Lord God of your fathers was angry with Judah. So Deuteronomy 9 has a whole list. Moses kind of starts to just list out this entire chapter. Y'all stink, and here's why, okay? <laughs> Here are the many ways that you stink. Um, number one, you had the time at Horeb. You made the Lord become angry. Number two, you had another time um, where Aaron had made the Lord angry. And the Lord was so angry. Um, it says in verse 19, for I was afraid, I was afraid of the anger and the rage which, with which the Lord was angry with you. So as to destroy you. But the Lord listened to me that time as well. The Lord was also angry enough with Aaron to destroy him. So this wasn't, this wasn't like make your mama mad time. This is, this is some serious making the Lord angry enough to destroy an entire tribe of people. And then Moses just recounts all of these times where, where Israel angered the Lord. And what was the pattern? Idolatry. Turning against direct commandments of God. He said one thing and Israel did exactly the opposite thing that they were commanded to do. Or he said, worship only me in the Ten Commandments. And here they make a calf or here they worship Baal or go off in a different direction. Divide a kingdom that he had unified and provided a king for all of these things. Um, we're turning away from God. And then just to give a New Testament example, 
Um, you guys remember this in John chapter 2, the scourging of the temple. You remember what Jesus did? Sometimes we think about Jesus as kind of like this, this super sweet, long-haired guru who sits down and has dinner with his disciples, right? But Jesus also has the fire and wrath of God in his eyes, right? And right here, look at what happens. John 2, 13 through 17. The Passover of the Jews was near. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem and within the temple grounds, he found those who were selling oxen, sheep and doves and the money changers seated at their tables. And he made a whip of cords and drove them all out of the temple area with the sheep and the oxen. He poured out all the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And to those who were selling doves, he said, take these things away from here. Stop making my father's house a place of business. His disciples remembered that it was written, the zeal for your house will consume me. So this is this is one instance incidence in which Jesus pulled no punches. I mean, he had the man had a whip. He meant business. He was going in, taking down tables. Now. We shouldn't conflate our character with Jesus, but we are supposed to reflect it, right? This is a time in which Jesus was righteously angry because the temple was being profaned. There is nothing that angers the Lord more than profaning his holiness, worshiping another God, turning away to idolatry. Those are things that just create the ire of God. Um, so in several cases, God's anger is directed toward idolatry or disobedience of his people. Um, and it's all a demonstration of his wrath is what is seen many times in these incidences, right? His wrath is contained um, for his punishment towards sin. And we see that. So many times in in the Bible. And it's directed towards sin. So then do we have a right to be angry if God if God is angry? Do we ever have a right to be? Yeah, I think so. You I wanted to use an example of Moses. Moses. In Numbers 16, 15 through 21, this is Korah's rebellion. If you recall us studying what happened there, basically Moses' authority was being challenged and a group rose up against the leadership of Moses and Aaron and wanted to take him down. Verse 15, then Moses became very angry and said to the Lord, Pay no attention to their offering. So we saw in another case where Moses was actually imploring God to forgive people. Lord, because of your great name, because of your mercy, because of all your attributes, please forgive this people. Um, but here Moses gets so angry. And why? Why does Moses get angry? Because they're bringing false accusations. Against they're also um, going against the Lord's man here. Moses is the patriarch. Moses is the one who's led them from even from Egypt. So many times right in the Old Testament, we see a starting of a sentence. You delivered us from Egypt. Therefore, dot, dot, dot. Moses is that guy that the Lord used to deliver Israel and go around that very circuitous way of reaching the promised land. But Moses is that guy. And now they're raising up against the Lord's appointed leader. And bringing false accusations. So.
so what was Moses angry about? He was angry about those things that would anger the Lord as well. So a reflection, again, we reflect God's character. Be very, very cautious in being angry because there's a contrast between what Moses was doing there and what we do a lot of times. In Ephesians 4, 25 through 27, therefore, ridding yourselves of falsehood, speak truth to each other of you with his neighbor, because we are parts of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin. Be angry, yet do not sin. Okay, so Paul says, be angry, immediately follows it with a caution statement, right? Do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. Our anger and sinning because of our anger gives the devil an opportunity. Wait. So James, bringing it back home, um, follows in what the Lord would even teach himself in the Sermon on the Mount. If you remember, Jesus says, look, it's not just committing the actual physical act of adultery. It's even having lust in your heart after someone that is adultery, right? It's not just physically murdering someone that is a sin. It's also having those murderous intentions, those hateful thoughts towards another person. Jesus is internalizing those things that to this point have only been kind of thou shalt not do X, right? And he says in the Sermon in the Mount in Matthew 5, you have heard that the ancients were told you shall not murder. And whoever commits murder shall be answerable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be answerable to the court. And whoever says to the brother, you good for nothing, shall be answerable to the Supreme Court. And whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Um, so anger towards your brother is essentially a condemnable uh, action, right? So kind of to encapsulate all of this, there are times when we are angry and it is warranted. But you better, again, 90s kid here, check yourself before you wreck yourself, okay? We've got to check why we're angry. Why would we be angry? Um we're typically angry because it's out of self-interest. Somebody's playing with our favorite toy. Um, someone got elected that we don't like. Um, all of these things that there could be an element of righteous anger, right? But let's be sure, number one, anger should be rare for us. So as a point of reflection, if you walk around every day, you know that every day that you get angry about something. Please go to the Lord. Please go talk to one of your brothers and sisters. Please get that right, because that is not the status of who we are as Christians. We are not an angry, stomping around type of people. We're a compassionate and merciful people who absolutely will get angry, but we will get angry in a righteous way for those things that God gets angry about. When we are angry, we're called to forgive and settle it quickly. Um, we go to our brother or sister that's offended us and we reconcile. We can't, we can't just get angry over petty arguments, Facebook comments, Please don't. Just please don't stay angry about that type of stuff. Because ultimately, what does James say? That a man's anger does not bring about the righteousness of God. Our anger and, uh, and being in a state of anger 
doesn't bring about the righteousness of, righteousness of, righteousness of God. What does? These other attributes we're talking about. Quick to hear, slow to listen. So let's uh, wander down here. Um, the last part of this, after we've spent this time about being quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, then in verse 21, it says, therefore, ridding yourself of all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. So receiving the word has at least four parts according to this scripture. First of all, ridding yourself of all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. Confession coincides with receiving the word. Another, another use of the Lord's Prayer here. Remember I said that we were going to come back to it. After he says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. At, excuse me. After he says, hallowed be thy name. Um, what, what does he say next? He also asks, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. There's a confessional part of receiving that daily bread. Right. So the Lord in his model prayer says, give us this day our daily bread, but also says, forgive us of our debts. These these two things are coinciding confession and receiving the word. Second part of this is having the right attitude in humility, receive the word implanted. Don't be a Pharisee here. Don't be so hyped up on your religious status that um, we can't receive the word properly. Identify what is to be received, the word implanted. Say, put that on the, the back burner for just a minute. And then the expected result that we're marching towards here is this implanted word is enough to save our souls. So this implanted word was sort of a meditation for me about the parable of the sower. And I wanted us to kind of end our time to today with each other looking at this parable because this goes right along with James teaching. And I, I think that he would, uh, he would agree with us looking at this <laughs> because he is so dependent on the teaching of Jesus. So go with me, if you will, to Mark chapter four. And let's read through part of this with each other. Again, he began to teach by the sea and such a very large crowd gathered to him that he got into a boat and on the sea and sat down and the whole crowd was by the sea on the land. He was teaching them many things in parables and was saying to them in his teaching, listen to this. Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he was sowing, some seeds fell beside the road and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And when the, when the sun had risen, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. Other seeds fell into the good soil, and as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced thirty, sixty, and a hundred times as much. And he was saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then if you will, a couple verses down here in verse 13, he picks up with a more full explanation of his parable. We're in Mark 4, 13. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? Parentheses, you big dummies. 
The sower sows the word. These are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown. And when they hear immediately, Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. And in a similar way, these are the ones sown with seed on the rocky places who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And yet they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then when affliction, persecution occurs because of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown with the seed among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word. But the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things enter and choke the word and it becomes unfaithful, or excuse me, unfruitful. And those are the ones sown with seed on good soil and they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 times as much. So when we think about receiving this word that James is calling us to receive, the word implanted, that seed sown, what is the seed sown that really has an effect out of verse 20? Those are the ones sown with seed on good soil. So what has to take place before this sprouts? The gospel. Yes, be given a new heart. We have to have that soft soil, right? The rich soil. I know that Lisa knows all about soil and taking care of plants because she's she's the plant lady. But so are all of us. We, we've got to have that rich environment for that seed to grow. Right. And the Lord creates that. They hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. So remember, we're going into being hearers and doers. There's a fruit that yields from a seed sown on proper soil. So this word that we're that we prepare ourselves with by being quick to hear, slow to speak and slow to anger. The word is implanted and we must be like that good soil with the good seed. I've got to clear away all the thorns and weeds, all the riffraff and have good fertilizer. Right. We've, we've got to continually be growing and producing fruit um, in uh, being sown with this good seed of the gospel. So just to wrap this up, being quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger are fruits of the changed nature that we have in Christ. Anger is a state that we should cautiously avoid. Cautiously avoid. It's prone to sin. Self-interest, self-inflation, stubbornness. Those are all frequent companions of anger. So let's cautiously avoid anger. And receiving the word leads to the saved soul that reflects the attributes and the characters of God. Um, the character of God, excuse me. Um, when we were looked at the very first mention of being slow to anger, it was a way that God described himself. So last slide, I promise. Just questions for us to meditate on, okay? Do I frequently find myself angry? Do I frequently find myself angry? If I do, is it anger over those things that anger God? Do you just have a zeal for God's word and that's why you're in a constant state of anger? Or is it self-interested? And is that why you, your second question, probably the most important question, have I received the word? 
do I even have the basis? Do I even have the foundation? Has, has the Lord soundly saved me? And is that seed going to start growing? How do I continually listen and hear God's word? What are you currently doing to make yourself hear the word? Let it be absorbed, not, you know, going through the empty space between your ears. But how do we how do we receive it, absorb it? Do we listen? Do we spend time in morning in the word? How, however you want to do that. It should be a regular practice. And am I ridding myself of filth? Are you, rid, are you ridding yourself of filth? Are you getting rid of the weeds? And lastly, am I asking for God's help in doing so? Um, you need a weed killer. We need a good weed killer. And the Lord's all about that. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we want to be both hearers and doers of your word. Father, we ask that you would help us to be quick to hear, to be slow to speak, and to be slow to anger. Father, I pray that you would help us to absorb what we've heard today. Lord, that even this week we would apply your word to our actions and character. Father, I pray that you will be with us as we go into this time of observing the Lord's Supper. And Father, I pray that you would um, be with that observance as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.